Hello, Fried fans, and welcome to Season 4 of Fried, the Burnout Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Donovan, and my mission with Fried is to hashtag end burnout culture. On this pod, we end burnout culture by sharing stories of people who have been through it all, sharing expert tips from the best in the burnout field, sharing hashtag straight from Kate episodes with my own expertise and some fun research now that I'm a student again, plus sharing actionable steps to help you end burnout starting today. If you're feeling burnt out right now and you need personalized guidance, you can book a free breakthrough burnout call with me. You'll find the link bit.ly backslash call Kate in the show notes. Also, if you love fried and want to be part of our community, we'd love to have you. Just head over to Facebook and type in fried the burnout podcast discussion and click to join our group. It's a place for continued healing, deeper conversations and connections with people who just get it. And now for this week's episode. Hello, Fried fans. We are back this week with a conversation that I am very excited to have. Everyone that listens to Fried by this point knows that I get pitched often and I say no a lot to guests who are trying to come on the podcast. Jim, today's guest, did not pitch me at all, simply reached out and I read through his website and I wrote to him and said, will you be on my podcast? So you know that I really wanted to have this conversation because otherwise that would not have happened. And the thing that struck me the most is Jim is doing my work with men. And it's not that I don't work with men, but that's not who I'm typically talking to on the podcast or on my website. And so I'm really excited to have a voice that is dedicated to men's burnout. So today we have Jim Young, who is a men's burnout coach. After experiencing severe burnout across the board in his work, marriage, and personal life, he decided it was time to change. Nearly 10 years later, largely through a series of daily practices, Jim has created the life he wanted all along. Jim, welcome to the show. Hey, that is such an amazing introduction, and I am so flattered to know that like the story of even me getting on here, um, that there was such resonance for you, and, and uh, I feel the same way, so I'm super excited to be here. And I started reading your blog after, and I was like, yes, yeah, we need to talk about this. So so I'm really, really excited. So we always start fried episodes, guest episodes with your story. And I'm going to give you the floor, take the time and space you need, tell us sort of what went down, and we will use that as the springboard for the remainder of our episode. Awesome. Well, as I was thinking about sharing my burnout story with you today, the image of an ocean came up, and I thought about how when we first wade into an ocean like there's that little shock. It's a little bit like maybe there's even some excitement about it. Uh, And for me, my story actually starts when I was nine years old and I was in the kitchen in my house and my mom had recently, like within the previous week, kicked out her abusive boyfriend who shared the tiny two bedroom apartment with my sister, myself, my mom. And it was Tuesday night, it was trash night and it was time to take out the trash. And my mom turned to me and said, well, now you're the man of the house. So you need to take out the trash. And it was like that shock. I had all these questions tumble in like, well, how do I actually take out the trash? What do I do to bag it up? And can I carry it down the stairs of our apartment building and all the way across the parking lot to this dark corner and get it up into the the dumpster and like all these fears. And I quickly, I mean, this happened in milliseconds. I had all those questions flash through my mind and then I took out the trash. And I didn't realize the pattern that that was setting at the time, but what it was teaching me and what I was getting rewarded for importantly, especially by somebody who loved me was just do it, don't ask questions, don't let your feelings out. And really that's, that was my masculine template. That was like what I understood of to, what it was to be the man of the house or to be a man in general. If I kind of carry that ocean metaphor forward a little bit, like I rode those waves for a long time and a lot of moments in between that were part of my burnout story, but it, the, the wave kind of crested in my early forties. I was recently separated on the way to divorce. I was trying to figure out how to be a single parent to three young kids. My grandmother died and she had been a, a really a primary uh, care figure in my youth. I was managing like 60 plus clients at this startup IT company uh, that I was in the leadership of. And I was just like, oh shit, I, I can't handle it anymore. I, all those feelings were still inside me from decades before. 
all of that stress. And I went to my boss and I said, I need to go away. I just need to stop. And I took a month off. They didn't know how long it was going to be. It ended up being a month of unpaid leave. Um, and, and I really just, I just sat with like all of that weight behind me and I had no idea what to do. And I'd like to say it was the end of my burnout story, but I came back like a week early for a key meeting in that organization. And this is like ironically funny now to me is in the midst of like a mental health breakdown of burnout that I needed to like step away from this high pressure job. I came back before I was off of leave and got promoted to be president of that company. Like, I know your, your listeners can't see me, but I'm like covering my face. Like, what was I thinking? I took a bigger job because that's what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to climb the ladder. I was, you know, listening to all these uh, silent voices in my head that told me what was success, what I was supposed to do, what made me worthy. And I just continued down the path once I got back. And I only lasted about a year in that job before I had to leave again. And finally said, okay, it's time to make a change um, and, and stop doing what I was doing. And that was professionally. Um, there were a couple of things that I started realizing earlier on the personal side that I just wasn't giving myself uh, attention. I wasn't honoring my own needs. Uh, and so I, I really started over a span of years and kind of cascading waves, if you will, to follow the, the, uh, the metaphor, I kept finding new places to ground myself. And I kept having to take all these little steps and all these changes along the way to say, I, I don't need to listen to those voices anymore. I get to, I get to decide how I'm gonna do it. So the, the, I don't get to listen to these voices or, or I don't have to listen to these voices anymore is something I write about in my book is something we talk about a lot here is something I talk a lot about with one on one clients. And especially over the past, say, five ish years, there's been a lot of talk about the patriarchy and what it means for everyone except for white men. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're talking about what it means for me. We're talking about what it means for my BIPOC sisters we're talking about what it means for everyone but we're we're very rarely i have mentioned it on the podcast quite a few times but it's not a common discussion to say this patriarchy thing isn't working out for the white man that well either yeah and as a white man i'm happy that you're asking that question and it's it can be an uncomfortable question because like who am i to say oh this this system that's benefited me greatly over the years isn't good for me and woe is me like Clearly, that's not my point, and it's not good. Uh, the pressure that men, I think, are feeling, and I wrote about this recently, of the being caught in the, the old archetypes of what we're supposed to be as men, these stoic providers who didn't have any emotional needs and didn't, you know, uh, didn't, didn't go, into, go into that space, and then in more of the, the 21st century man of, like, actually having the balance of being a nurturer and having emotional integrity with ourselves and other people like there's this vice and like stepping out of the old archetype and into the new one is going to invite a bunch of threatening actions and behaviors you're going to get called names you're going to you know you're going to be invited into feeling unworthy as a man and it's so toxic and that, and, and so many men don't know the way out. They don't know how to choose when they really want to step out of that without the threat of like, I have to give up my man card. I have to, uh, my identity is in this massive threat, even though they know their existence isn't sustainable. Right. One of the things you wrote about in one of your blogs is that part of that transition is like you use the word nurturing right now is about connecting with your children in a way that isn't this typical sort of like 1950s throwing a baseball in the backyard for four minutes before you have your whiskey at the end of your workday sort of picture. And, the, and you use the word nurturing and you used the, the idea without the word of nurturing when you were talking about your own story about self-nurturing self in that way. So there's a lot of sort of like, how to nurture is coming out to me right now. Like you have to learn as a man what nurturing means because what you were taught was as long as you give everybody the money and pay for the things, right. that's your job. Exactly. That, 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 uh, 
that, that artificial provider. And I was talking to a client yesterday about provider and like, he really wants to be a provider across the spectrum. I'm so happy for him. And it's like, okay, cool. What do you have to give up? Cause you're working 16 hour days running your business. And are you, are you able to nurture and provide for your family in the other ways? And for and, yourself. And, and for yourself. And I really do think like, that's where it starts is for ourselves and for my own uh, journey out of burnout, it was starting to recognize my own needs and to take care of myself. Um, I actually, uh, I, one of the first places that I, I learned about recovery, and I didn't think of it as burnout recovery at the time, but it clearly was, uh, was doing 12-step work in Al-Anon. I grew up around uh, family and friends, a lot of them that had alcohol addictions. And eventually I found my way into that program and it provided me such so many gifts, learning about principles like humility and patience and generosity, um, daily practices, which has been a huge part of my own recovery work and burnout, as well as you know from, from relationship diseases. Um, but one of the key exercises that I did in there, uh, my sponsor gave me was to write a letter to my five-year-old or nine-year-old self, whatever it was at the time. And and I got to nurture this kid in me who didn't get that. Like my mom was so stretched thin, didn't really have the wherewithal to, to give me what I, I needed then. And so I got to give it to myself years later. And I was a parent of young kids at the time. And I, I love being a dad. It's like one of my absolute favorite things in the world. And so I got to like, imagine like, well, if, if I were dealing with me, <laughs> thinking about how I might deal with my son or my daughters, I was like, what would I say to that person? And the words that poured out in this letter that I wrote, I mean, they just, they hit me so hard. There was such an emotional impact of that uh, for a while. A lot of grief came up, uh, but also just a lot of appreciation for my mom and what she was doing, for what my dad could do in his limited time with me and for who I could be for myself. And therefore, once I could be that for me, I was safe. I was solid. And now I could start to bring that out and I could stand there and have somebody challenge my identity and be like, no, I know who I am. I'm good. But it took more than a, a letter, I'm guessing. Oh. <laughs> All right. The letter is a great yeah. exercise. And for anyone who hasn't done this, I don't, I think even if you have really incredible parents, they're going to miss out on some of the things that you need to nurture, to be nurtured, to feel nurtured because we are not ideal as people and because we nurture people and parent people often the way we were nurtured and parented and everybody needs something different. So they're going to miss the mark on some things, even if they were available and wonderful and tried to give you everything that you needed. So I think doing this exercise is great for people across the board and it's a wonderful starting block, but I'm guessing that that story continues. Yeah, I mean, the the work continued um, on a day to day basis. And I, you know, there were so many different things that I did to kind of get myself out of myself. Um, I had to like bring kind of that natural me back into the equation and not that that person that was all about the shoulds um, and all the defenses that I put up against not wanting people to see me. Um, really, actually, the very first thing, rewinding before that story, is I I started getting an email every day from gratefulness.org, a wonderful organization, and they put out a word for the day uh, email at like four in the morning. So it hit my inbox before I woke up every day, and every day I would read it to just get something positive into my brain at kind of my lowest point. I was like, I know I just need to feed myself something positive. That then led into other practices like journaling, which was really helpful for me. I wrote a lot. I love to write. So I wrote about my story in a bunch of places. Uh, I wrote, at one point I wrote a hundred pages over a period of like two years on patience because I knew I needed better patience, just journaling on that word. Um, so there's I think so everybody many... wants to read that right now. Everyone's <laughs> like, oh God, I could use that. <laughs> Is it a guidebook? <laughs> Are there to-dos? <laughs> Is there a checklist? Are there Cliff's notes? Yeah, that's, that's perfect. The Cliff Notes version of the patient's uh, book so that I can read it faster. <laughs> um, and yeah, so there were lots of things, like what I found, like my, my strategy as it evolved over time was to just do little things all the time that were, that were good for me and, and discover. Like half the time, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but I was just discovering the next thing that I needed. And ultimately, like if I could thread all through all of them, we haven't even talked about all of them yet. It was about community. 
Like mm. for me, it was so much about community and getting into conversation with other people who could kind of raise my vibe. Mm. Okay. So you're saying do small things. And this is something we talk about on Friday a lot. And it's something that I often have to spend a call or two with new clients, convincing them that they can do smaller tasks and it will be more impactful long-term than, you know, I'll give them a small assignment and they'll be like, and I also did this. And then I got really tired. I'm like, well, I didn't tell you to do all that, that extra bit. So why don't we rein it in a little and do little bits? When you are an overachiever, male, female, binary, non-binary, whatever, when you're an overachiever, you always think that more is better. And you're saying small things on a daily basis. And when you're saying small things, what I want to know is what are the things that are popping in your thought cloud in, in the front of your head? Yeah. Like some of them are super simple, like drinking water, like mm. giving my body what it needs and hydrating. Um, it's also for me to just feed my spirit. Like I read something every day, like a, like a page or a paragraph even to just give myself like these bigger picture uh, ideals that I'm tapping into that I'm just a small speck in a small speck of time. And I get worked up over the things, especially that I want to achieve and kind of reframing that by saying, how, how does this actually matter? What are the bigger things that I'm, I'm aimed towards? I have a question about that. Yeah. Did you have the capacity for that in the beginning of your journey? Because I, I will just throw it out there. I did not. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. Cause no, like that, that's, you know, that, that's been along the yeah. way. Um, yeah. At first it was really simple uh, stuff to take care of myself, like eating better, drinking, uh, making sure I talk to people. Like for me, uh, one of my challenges was like, so my, my marriage ended and I thought I was a failure as a man. Mm. And so I had all this shame and I didn't want to talk to anybody. Like mm. I talked to my therapist and that was essential. Uh, I did some important work in therapy over multiple years with multiple therapists. Um, but I was still isolating myself. I was still hiding because I didn't feel like I was succeeding. Was it easier to hide because you had a therapist? Yeah, probably because I thought, well, I'm working on this. Right, right. And yes, and I still needed to have other outlets. I needed, yeah, one of the articles that I, I wrote about uh, in my blog, there was a Harper's Bazaar article a few years back about emotional gold diggers. And it's you know, kind of the inverse of this trope of women who just go after men for their money. Uh, it's men who only get emotional support from one person in their life, their, their spouse. Mm. Oh, wait, let's stop on that for yeah. a second. <laughs> it's deep. Yeah, let's just, let's just let that sit for a moment. So the counterpart to the stereotypical gold digger yeah. is the male counterpart to it is a man who is searching for all of their emotional needs in one person. I know that there are some men that just went, Ugh! and a bunch of women that just thought, oh shit, I'm that person. Uh, oh, I think you one step further. Yeah. Because you said men searching for their emotional needs in one person. I think a lot of times, it's men not doing an ounce of the emotional labor. It's like, it has to be extracted by their emotional gold digger mm. or by their, their provi emotional provider. That's a picture. Yeah. And like, that's so harmful. I, mean, I, I say at times to, to people who want to listen, sometimes people who have to listen, <laughs> um, we're emotional beings in a physical body. Right? Yeah. Like we are emotions. I need to say that to men because I think we get these messages that say you shouldn't, you shouldn't be emotional. Don't be emotional. Suck it up. Yeah. Man up. All those, yeah. those things. And it's like, they still exist. Yeah. So if we're in this relationship where the, if, if we're in a, in a setting where the only person that we can put that on is our, our partner, well, they got their own stuff going on and maybe that, you know, they're also managing their job, the kids, whatever else is going on. It's like, it's so imbalanced. 
And, and what, I, what I believe men need and a lot of what I, I'm, I work to do is to help connect men with communities of other men where it's safe to be emotional, where it's safe to share fear and grief and joy and all the whole range of emotions. Do you try and find people that are like groups that are local to the people that are working with? Are you trying to find like meetup group? Like, what are you talking about? So uh, one of the gifts of the pandemic for me is yeah. my world got smaller locally and it expanded exponentially in terms of my work. I, I work as a coach. And so I, I can work with anybody that I can talk to. Yeah. And my, you know, so I work with people uh, predominantly in the US, but, I, you know, some international work here and there. And so really, like, I don't care where you are. I care like who you are and what you're dealing with. And, and if I, you know, if but who are you connecting people with? I'm wondering where these, com- oh. I'm wondering where these communities are, who you're looking for, how you decide who to introduce them to, are there communities that you are creating? Like, so part of the moving into the end of season three and the beginning of season four into fried, I had people requesting a community and I didn't really know how to do it. I don't know why I didn't think of it for three seasons that we needed a Facebook group. We just, we just need a Facebook group so that people can get together and, and have each other's support because community is a huge part of burnout recovery. So I created a community that people could join. But when you're saying that, like, where, where are these? Cause I know there's men listening or there's women listening and their partners need this and I'm saying where are these people yeah so so I'm creating one for myself so I've done a bunch of group coaching work over the past couple of years which I love and I realized I was building these small communities of people Um, so you know cohorts of six or ten people uh, and those are nice little communities and I could see there was such uh, such relief for these guys and Mm -hmm. so I was like all right cool I want my impact to be much bigger than that so uh, in in uh, September October, uh, by the time we this airs, probably um, I'm I'm launching something that will create a similar type of community, um, and still working out some details. But yeah, there'll be Facebook group because that's the best place to do it, um, fortunately or unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and I also have a lot of other you know resources in my network, people who are in Man- Mankind Project or Every Man, um, other communities of men that are supportive because not every community is right for every person. Yeah. Uh, so when I encounter somebody and they're looking for some kind of support, you know, I'll have some questions for them and say, yeah, maybe I can help you. Or if not, you know, let me, let me send you off to somebody in my network. And I've, I just spent a lot of time over the past year, especially grooming that network and under, you know, meeting more men who are doing this work. And I'm, you know, I'm in three different groups that meet every month to connect more men together and just keep building that. Uh, you talk about the not theory. Yeah. I love your not theory. I have a sort of different version of that. It's like, how can I, how can we build like a fabric or a mesh work that's supporting yeah. men? Yeah. I like that. So if you could, when we're done here, shoot me an email with a couple of those links, I'll add them to the show notes, because if there are people that might want to poke around a little bit and find something for themselves, I want them to be able to do that with immediacy Um, because I think it's really important. So if we could agree to that, then that would be amazing. You betcha. Cool. So you were in a big job. Yeah. At the top of the heap. Yep. Hmm. Making the money. Mm-hmm. Right. You have the checklist going. So this is I, I often tell people burnout is such a tricky thing because it can happen frequently in low income scenarios because you have to work so hard for survival. There's so much survival happening and that takes up a ton of energy. So which is why we have the podcast for free and why the book is low cost and things like that so that people can access tools that they may need in lower income scenarios. But what people don't understand is a lot of the burnout is on the upper end of the financial scale. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think that uh, those two are linked to me. Yes. It's, it's the whole system is burning out. Yeah. And it impacts low low wage workers who can't make ends meet and that's uh, and, uh, and that was the upbringing I came from so I yeah, same. a little bit of an understanding of that world and it sucks. Uh, and having clawed my way up to somewhere in the middle class, I was like, cool, <laughs> not going to have that problem. <laughs> and then I got to the top of the heap and I realized like, oh my God, I'm still having, you know, burnout. Uh-huh. Yeah. And 
you know, there's so much of the, you know, the grasping energy that, that we have of like, how are we succeeding? How are we achieving? How are we competing with one another? And especially in the, in the, the world of, you know, the masculine world, men. Um, I was actually thinking the other day about the game King of the Hill, who's mm. playground, you know, and it sucked having to, you know, try and claw your way up because people are like pulling you down and kicking you and, and then you get to the top and you're like, cool, I got to the top, except it's worse because now everybody else, they're coming at you from every angle and you're just fearful the whole time. And I think it's a perfect analogy for the psyche of men because you could make as much money as you want. You could be you know, financially set forever and still be in burnout yeah. because you still have to win. You still have to compete and, and you have all these people clawing at you. And those people are suffering and struggling because they're stepping on each other. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to say that again, it's something that has come up on the podcast a lot. If you are out there right now and you are like, well, I'm at the top of my game, like, and I have everything I could need. And you're feeling guilty about being burnt out because you are privileged and you have more physically than, than maybe someone else. I need you to know that you can be at the top of the heap and still experiencing burnout. Privilege does not prevent burnout. Financial privilege does not prevent burnout. Yeah, definitely. That's important. And, and what I would add to that is, is something that you've talked about on some of your episodes that I've listened to. And it's something that we share, I think is a really core belief is that if you're in that place where you have all your needs met, you know, uh, financially, materially, whatever, and you're still feeling burnout, check your values. Mm. Like, what are the values that you have that are being stepped on? You know, are you trying to live up to somebody else's values? I, I, I think of it as like, you know, I think a lot of men get, probably a lot of people, I just know the yeah. male experience. But I think we get our values through osmosis. We do. That's actually psychological, like the psychological passing learning is, um, and neurodevelopment is that, that we absorb our fears and values from the people around us. Like even monkeys do this, like this is a, a well-researched phenomenon. This isn't a, a thought uh, process that we're having right now. This is an actual thing that happens. So we absorb our values from our family until we are, so, you know, sort of, getting into early adolescence. And then we absorb our values mostly from our peers for quite a few times, much to the dismay of our parents during that time. But we're, we need to do that in order to test out some of those values. And then as we age, we absorb the values also from the culture around us. So our values will change based on our friend group and where we're living. So the difference between, you know, Jim and I are both from Massachusetts. So the difference from, you know, Boston values and, and Louisiana values, like will be soaked up into your skin, whether you like it or not. And this was really hard for me when I was living abroad because the values didn't that I was absorbing from the outside didn't match who I was. And it was really hard for me to upkeep them because I didn't really agree with them. Like Poland is really very concerned with outward appearance. So I would go to work and my patients would be like, oh, you look tired, no makeup today? Huh. I'd be like, excuse me, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> but it happens frequently values mismatch. values mismatch yeah yeah so this is a big thing within if you look at the top six burnout factors within companies values mismatch is is on the list yeah. but this is also a personal thing at the same time totally yeah if i think about it, like i didn't i never did any work on my values until i kind of pulled the plug yeah seriously um and when I finally sat down and, and did that work, and it took me several weeks, I think, of, you know, I was working with my coach and, and doing work on the side with it. I, I looked at it and I was like, oh, this is all the stress that I have. Like my number one value in the world is being a great dad. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to, you know, have my kids, I have my kids 50% of the time. I'm a hundred percent parent 50% of the time. And I freaking love it. And I was trying to do this high level corporate job that required 50, 60 hours a week. And I was juggling my schedule and I was sending them off with, you know, friends after school. And it felt so wrong to me because I wasn't giving them what they needed. And eventually I realized like, oh, 
I am just like stepping all over my values. And that's yeah, called- let's back that sentence up again. You said I wasn't giving them what they needed, but regardless, like we're saying, we don't always know what people need. You weren't giving them what you wanted to give them. Yeah. And I wasn't giving myself what I need. Right. Exactly. Yes. I need to feel like I am present to my kids. Yeah. Whether, you know, especially now when they're, they're teenage dumb, like, do they give a shit or not? No. (laughs) I was there for myself. Um, And so, yeah. So that not honoring that value was just so expensive to me. Not honoring a value is expensive. Will you listen to that, please? And for those of you who are maybe are new to Fried, please know that you can download a core values worksheet on my website. I will put a link to it in the show notes so it will be easy to find. And it is one of the most powerful exercises you can do. And I, listen, I did not make this up. This is a very typical life coaching exercise. I've added some twists that I find important. However, you know, this is a basic exercise that I think is necessary in every single burnout recovery process. Maybe not at the very beginning because you might not have the brain space to connect enough with yourself to choose what really matters to you. Because if you were choosing what matters to you on a daily basis, you probably wouldn't be where you are. So it feel, it's really can be quite jarring. I just had this experience with a client not long ago that she, she went through her values exercise. I, we did it together instead of having her do it on her own. And she stopped about halfway through and she was like, I don't believe this. I can't believe I've been doing this to myself. Look at this list. This isn't my life. Yeah. Why am I doing this? I said, well, let's number one rule when you're coaching with me is we do not demonize your coping mechanisms, your patterns, your behaviors, your thoughts. We don't demonize anything that you go through because that is not helpful. I said, okay, well then where did these things come from? And we started pulling it out and saying, oh, you know, this is my cultural background. She's from a a very strict religious background. So, okay, so this is my cultural religious background. And oh, actually my mother always said this thing. I didn't realize I didn't have to listen to the thing my mother said. Yeah, you know? these values she had absorbed from all mm-hmm. those other places, right? And then yeah. got encoded and never challenged until it was like, oh, wait a minute, these don't fit. I'm not 17 years old anymore. Yeah, exactly. So the top of your list was being a dad and you realized that something had to shift because you could not be the father that you wanted to be according to your own values within the life that you had at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I leaned on uh, another value that I didn't realize I had. I hadn't written these down at the time, but I have another value. Value number three on the list is, is take risks to grow. Mm-hmm. And so I, I walked into my boss's office three years ago with a resignation letter. And she said, where are you going? I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I just know I need to go. I need to go do something very different. And I, what I really knew that I needed was to fit my work into my life and not my life around my work. Uh, I was so rewarded. I was, it was, you know, in my peer group, in my cultural segment, work and achievement and climbing the ladder and getting the title was so valued. And I had put so much value on that. And I I said, that's not my value. It really never has been. I don't care about money or status. I, I much would rather be in relationship. And my kids are my most important relationship. So I, I quit. I said, I'm going to do something else. With nothing underneath you, no net. I had a bit of money and a lot of faith that I had marketable skills to earn some short-term money if I needed to. Okay. A long-term plan. That was kind of it. I mean, I probably had like five months of living expenses in the bank. Okay. Just so everyone knows, this is not my recommendation for how to do it. (laughs) But it seems to have worked out. So did you, what I see tends to happen if people do decide to leave their jobs and we're in the middle of a coaching session, you know, and I say, okay, well, let's create a good plan. Let's make sure you know what's happening next. Let's do as much as we can to ensure your safety 
so that your nervous system doesn't go haywire. And then when people leave, you know, the first few weeks are often um, overwhelming with things to do because all of a sudden they're like, I'm, I have free time, so I should do. And then they do and do and do and do. And then like, I'm still exhausted. I'm like, well, stop doing. Do you remember at this point? Cause I know it was some time ago and we, t- we color our memories with time, but do you remember those first few weeks, like what you did and what you were feeling and what was going through your head? Well, in my case, mine is maybe still a little on the unicorn path. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can, I can actually say this with honesty, although it's, it's a little bit of a fudge. Um, I quit my job and I went to Chicago to do improv, which is true. <laughs> Um, I had signed up for an improv intensive workshop for a week in Chicago, uh, one of the big theaters there months before. And when I put in my resignation, I was like three weeks away from it. So I had my last day and then I got on a plane a couple of days later and I went to Chicago and just like was completely immersed in this joyful, um, really mentally challenging, stimulating uh, scenario. So that was such a great palate cleanser. Um, but to honor your question, like, then I came back and I started worrying, like, <laughs> yeah. what am I going to do to bring in, how am I going to pay the bills? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So th- there was definitely some doing going on for me there. Yeah. And how did, wh- what happened through that time? What, where, how did we get from there to here? Yeah. So the, um, the day I handed in my resignation letter, this was also not quite planned, but it was perfect. It was July 3rd. So it was the day before Independence Day. Um, and so I had the day off the next day for the holiday. I came back and I had lunch on Thursday with somebody about contract jobs that I might be able to get. And she's like, actually, do you want to take over my recruiting business? I was like, huh. And the next day I had a, somebody approached me about uh, taking on a senior leadership role in a networking organization I was a member of. And then the next day I ran into an acquaintance downtown, told her about my crazy week. I resigned. I've got these two things that have popped up as potential opportunities that I never would have expected. And she asked me the question I needed to hear. She's like, well, what did you love doing in your corporate career? And I said, I loved helping people, helping people connect. She's like, oh, well, I went into coaching so I could do that full time. Mm-hmm. And so literally four days after I'd handed in my resignation, I knew that like that seed was planted. I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's what I love. And I decided to, to start pursuing that. So I got busy with that. And I also, I contracted back to my old employer. Like, yeah, that was the the, the bridge safe that, thing to do. Yeah, yeah, that's what kept me from freaking out. Yeah, um, so they hired me part time and great. I kept helping them out as I transitioned, and it was a good scenario. Had you ever been coached when you started learning about coaching? No, I had not. Um, <laughs> I had a follow up conversation with that person about a week later, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm definitely wanting to check this out." I went inside a room I'm standing in now. I sat down on the couch open up my laptop and Googled, you know, business coach near me. Cause that's what it sounded like in my head. Yeah. And I found my coach um, and I started working with her a few weeks later, even though she was only working with women, I approached her yeah. and she's like, Oh, I think we need to work together. Yeah. Uh, and I started working with her and then quickly went into training and, and so forth. How was the coaching process for you from from that perspective, like I've been in the coaching world almost since I started working when I was 24. So this is like, I've been in this from the very beginning. So it's, to me, it's always been part of my life. So I, I don't know what it feels like to finally be asked real questions and be listened to is like, as an adult, like it must be such a relief. It was. And, you know, at first I was like, I I expect this to be a little bit like therapy. I expect to like have full attention on me and like big, deep questions. But the cool thing was like, it wasn't about dealing with my shit from the past. It was all about possibility, which is something I had never looked at. I was just like, you know, in a limited scope, I would look at possibility, but I didn't, I never allowed myself to dream. And then starting to work with a coach, I got to get into those deep questions like, what are my values and what is it that I actually want? I mean, if there's one question a coach can ever ask, it's what do you really want? Um, And just hearing that kind of question over and over again and being supported, you know, I had a great coach who would also provide me with tips and strategies. And and it was just like such a relief to have that resource who was so on my side. And still to this day, we're no longer working a coaching relationship together, but she's still supporting me and I still support her. And it's, it's such a wonderful uh, relationship. 
You mentioned the values exercise. Were there other exercises that struck you in the beginning of working with a coach? Yeah. Um, so I, I trained at a school called CTI, the Coactive mm-hmm. Training Institute. Um, I love them. Yeah, really great program. Yeah. And I had some just incredible experiences in the training courses there. And one of the exercises they do is a life purpose statement. And I just never resonated with the way they did it. I loved almost everything about it, but that was clunky to me. And I sat with my coach and I was doing um, work on, you know, what's your life purpose? Like, what's the greater meaning that you're here for kind of question. And she led me through an exercise. Um, I think I can remember, but details don't matter. And, And I just remember sitting there with my eyes closed and having these four words drop into my head from nowhere. Like I didn't think of them. They just came to me. It was slow down and connect. Mm. And I was like, I think my life purpose is slow down and connect. She's like, what does that mean? And I was like, you know, I'm not quite sure, but I think it's about slowing myself down first and connecting with what I really care about. And then it's, and and what I found over the years is it helps. And so it's like, I slow my work down and I connect with another facet of it. I slow down in a conversation with somebody and I connect with them person to person more. Uh, So it's been a multi, multi tool uh, kind of life purpose statement. And there are a lot of variations on that that people can have, but it's it's kind of my North star. Like, am I slowing down and connecting? Um, So I want to talk about that for a second because Life purpose statements tend to be, tend to get without guidance, a little too generous. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? So what I'm thinking about when I say that is um, everyone wants their life purpose, not maybe not everyone, but so many people that end up burnt out. I'll say it like yeah. that. They're, they tend to want their life purpose to be a, a actually of an actual thing that they're doing to help other people. Like my life purpose is to serve my community. And like, there's, there's a lot of really grandiose, yes. overly generous, um, sort of self-serving, uh, improving self-importance yes. by being generous on a community level. And what you're saying is yours was slow down and connect. And yeah. was it hard for you to accept that because it doesn't sound like much? It's not a judgment. I just, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't no, mean that it's exactly what my reaction was. Was like, ah, okay, well, it didn't make sense. I'm like, this doesn't sound like enough. It, it's not enough. Yeah. Because the, the template that I was trained in was, I'm the blank that blank. So like, mm-hmm. I'm the spark that lights everyone else's fire or something, right? right? right. Like kind of grandiose. And right. I was like, ah. you know, one of the principles I learned in Al-Anon that I embraced so much was humility. Yeah. It's like, how can I be humble? Because there were times in my life where I was an arrogant ass. Oh, welcome I to the club. I it all, right. And I was like, oh, and I look, back, I do that every Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to try and restrict mine to Tuesdays now too. Um, and so like having the humility to say like, yeah, it's not this big statement about who I am and what I am going to do for the world, but rather just something that felt like in my bones. And that's like, that's why I, that's why I knew it was true is because yeah. it didn't come from me trying to come up with the big thing. Yeah. It just like, it just appeared. And I was yeah. like, oh, I'm going to sit with this. And I really, I sat with it for a while before I really embraced it. And then I was like, oh, and over the years, it's just been so, so helpful to me. Yeah. Yeah. For me, there's a huge piece of everything that I do is enjoy this ride as much as you can while you're on it. (laughs) It's like that, that's a lot of my purpose. I do help. I help people every day. Yeah. Well, my life purpose isn't that. The statements are about being present. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's a, yeah, maybe some wisdom in there. Let's hope we've tapped into some wisdom. Yeah. Like in, enjoy as much as you can every day because you only get to do this. Well, I mean, maybe not. There's a lot of theories out there and I believe in past lives and whatever, but I, I, in this carnation, in this body, in this circumstance, get this, this one time. Yeah. So I might as well enjoy the shit out of it while I can, because 
yeah, let's make the best of it. Let's make the best of it, which is why I do this work. So yes, I'm helping people, but I'm helping them because I think the more people that are enjoying the shit out of this, the better we all get, the more, the stronger that network that we're all in together becomes, the higher vibe we all get. And I don't always love the high vibe thing because I think we can use it to spiritually bypass, but we, yep. if we can have a higher frequency, we can vibe higher and we can, but it's about joy and fun and love and connection. It's not yeah. about be, everybody being Mother Teresa. And, and on that note, if I were to give you my other iteration that's emerged over the years of what a purpose statement is for me Mm. came from a workshop I was in uh, where the teacher was talking about brand statements and similar to a purpose statement. And this one person who was a meditation teacher said like his brand statement for his meditation studio was world peace. And the instructor kind of challenged him on that. Like, so how does that, you know, for your, this little studio you have, he's like, well, I think if everybody meditated, we'd have world peace. And as I'm hearing that story, like the competitive side of me, <laughs> like, oh yeah, watch this world love. Everyone loves each other. <laughs> the the, the like competition comes out. Yeah. Okay. And, and it's like, if, if my competition, if my ego is going towards principles like love, I'm kind of okay with it. I'll let that run because it has to, ha- I got to let the dog out every once in a while. Um, so I do kind of have in, in the, the background running here is like, yeah, my, you know, my, my goal and really like kidding aside, like world love is like where I want us to all be. And I know that like, I'm a tiny speck on the timeline of humanity and I'm not going to create world love, but like, if I'm going to aim for something, why not that? Yeah. And if I fall short, well, that's something good to fall short of. Something good to fall short from. Yeah. So who finds you now like what who are you working with how are they finding you what's what is that looking what is your business looking like right now yeah so my business is shifting and I knew this at the beginning of the year and I actually spent the first half of the year in a process that I have labeled discernment Mm. um, because it was a mix of discernment and a whole lot of stuff being churned up (laughs) and what I realized was like I could grow my business. I needed to grow my business in, the, in a couple of ways. And you know, I have to pay for my kids to go to college. <laughs> I, need, I, I need to figure that out. I don't know how to do it yet. And um, I was like, well, I could go to super premium prices in my coaching. That's one way. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to help more people. Like really that's like, if yeah. I'm going to go for world love, all right, how do I get more people help? So I was like, all right, I, I, I want to be doing more community-based work. Mm-hmm. I want to be growing um, you know, that mesh work that has been so helpful to me. I want to be one of those, one of those knots in the, in in the mesh, so to speak. So, uh, I've been working for the last few months on designing, making a shift from more one-on-one coaching to more group coaching and more community space. So a lot of, uh, content around burnout to help people. I love to write. I love to speak. Uh, so just helping share my story and other people's stories, to give perspective, to make it okay, to pro- provide some different models that say like, yeah, you can be, um, you know, in this position and feel burnout and that's okay. And like, here's the path to get out um, and then provide the community and the support resources to do that. So that's, uh, that's coming. Th- that's what's next for me. Um, and I'll continue to do one-on-one coaching because I love it. I love being able to sit with somebody and go deep and help them, um, you know, discover the answers that, that they're looking for. And so now that you know that parenting is a major value and your relationship with your children is a major value, have, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. Have they commented at any point during this shift on the difference in the relationship from their perspective? Um, so they're teenagers. They don't yeah, but they weren't teenagers in the beginning. And kids, kids are pretty, can be pretty perceptive. Yeah. And I just mean that in that they're not always willing to say, say but things. I know. Uh, so my kids, I am, I know they love me and understand how much support they get. We have a phenomenal relationship. Like yeah. they're my three favorite people in the world. And, and I know that they're proud of me. Because mm. um, I know that they've seen what I did, and we've talked about why I did it. Cool. Uh, and and I, I hear them talk about 
because as they're getting to be older and my first one's heading off to college and one in high school and another one in middle school, I hear them starting to talk about the path for themselves and mm. speaking in similar ways of like, well, I don't have to just do a thing to make money. I'm like, mm. yes. <laughs> and as you said earlier, like I screwed them up in some other way. So they're yeah. going <laughs> to, the values that I've imbued upon them are going to not always fit. And, yeah. um, and they know enough to, you know, I think they know themselves better than I ever did at those ages. And, it's, and yeah. I, I love teenagers right now. Oh, they're the coolest. They are the just like so far beyond where we were. My niece is such a superstar. It's like, it's mind blowing to me. Yeah. The things that they are aware of and, um, and where my, my older daughter is so socially justice oriented and some of the stuff she teaches me is amazing. I learned so much from them. It's so great. Yeah. I love that. Well, we are coming close to an hour. Wow. <laughs> right. It goes quick. It goes quick to the thing that I'm taking away and sitting with right now is this idea that men need more emotional support, but yeah. not necessarily from the people that are already in their lives who are likely carrying a large emotional load for them already. Yes. This is the thing that's sort of, that I'm sort of like, that's mm -hmm. bounce, been bouncing around my head like a pong, like pong, you know? Yeah. And there are so many men out there who want the exact same thing, who want to support each other. Yeah. And I've seen that from guys who've never done any of this work and guys who've been doing men's work for years, stepping in and just showing up for each other. Because one of the things that men can do is show up. Yeah. That, that endurance, that resilience, the get shit done kind of mentality. Well, if we just turn that energy onto emotional support and say, that's okay to do. In fact, that's actually the best thing we can do. And we do that for each other. I've seen guys show up for each other in ways that are just like, they, they make me cry. Like I watch yeah. how tender they can be and how strong at the same time. Yeah. It's amazing. Have you read Justin Baldoni's book yet? No, I've heard the name. What's his book? I don't remember the name of it. I think it's Man Enough. It's, but he he's done talk. some amazing work. I think I've seen a TED talk of his. Yeah, he's, um, yeah, Man Enough. He's an actor, but has yes. been spending the past few years really sort of digging into this a lot. And and, and I, I have not read it yet, but this is in close alignment. So it's another thing that, another resource that people can tap into should they need it. So yeah, as we're- want a quick tease, Justin Baldoni's TED talk is phenomenal. He did a TED talk? Yep, it's so good. I love that. Oh, good. Well, we'll link to that. I just love him anyway. Yeah. Um, it doesn't hurt that he's totally gorgeous. So there's, yeah. there's that. So as we're wrapping up, how can people find you? So people can find me in one of two places. Um, my professional alias is The Centered Coach. Uh, so thecenteredcoach.com is my website. And that's where I do a lot of uh, blogging about things that I care about, uh, messages I want to get out into the world. And I talk about my one-on-one -on -one coaching. And then uh, in a couple of months, nomoreburnout.com uh, will be live. And that's uh, where I'm going to have a lot more resources on burnout for men, community building, tools, content, um, really just make, you know, to, in, to your point, making things really accessible, no matter how much you can afford, um, you know, lots of different ways to, uh, to support men. Well, I love that. I'm so grateful for the work that you've done with yourself that you can now share with others and for your time and your wisdom and your chat today. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank you, Kate. And right back at you, you know, the platform that you're providing for this conversation is so essential. And I love the work that you're doing. Keep it up. Thank you. All right, Fried fans, we're wrapping up another really strong episode of Fried the Burnout Podcast. And I'm going to want to hear your thoughts on this. So you if you have not joined us on the Facebook group yet, now is the time to do so in Facebook. Simply type in the search Fried the Burnout Podcast discussion group, and you will find us and we will chat and we will make things happen and you will heal and it will be lovely. Until next time.